Everyone ready for the Word of God? It's the right answer. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Praise God. Let's pray before we get into the Word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Word is, is truth. Lord, it's not a truth. Lord, in this world which has its own versions of truth and everyone's got their own, own truths here, there and everywhere. Lord, we thank you there is one truth is the truth. Not a truth, the truth. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for the Word of God and what it does. And, and I pray you to speak to us, Lord, this afternoon. Lord, say what you want to say. Minister to our hearts. Challenge us. Correct us. Empower us and equip us. Lord, do whatever, Lord, the Word of God needs to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So it's great to see you all. Myself and Wendy, we were away uh, last Sunday. We'd be on a holiday for last week um, up near the Norfolk Broads. That was really, really nice. And the weather was, I think, I understand it was terrible here. <laughs> it was actually fine in Norfolk. We hardly had any rain at all. It was pretty, wasn't that hot, but it was warmish and sunny. Um, so it's a lot better than here. <laughs> so um, for all of you guys, but it, for us, it was actually all right. So praise God. But it's great to feel rested. <laughs> it's great to be back. Usually in the south, we have the best weather, don't we? Isle of Wight's the sunniest place in the country, apparently. Um, so there you go. We're not far off now, are we? So there we go. It's been a funny, a funny uh, summer, isn't it? Anyway, so as I mentioned earlier, of course, we're back to Nosewood in four weeks' time. Praise God. So almost, almost there. And as I said, we want to, want to start strong. Want to go back in, uh, go back in strength. So one thing I want to talk about this morning, and I'm going to do another part on another Sunday, um, is just talk about culture, talk about church culture. So I think it's a great opportunity to talk about this before we go back to Sunday mornings to kind of make sure we get the culture right, not, not it's wrong anyway, but just so we're just reminded of what church culture is, what we believe uh, kingdom culture is, um, what we believe that church should look like. Um, you know, us as church, remember church isn't a building, church, church is people, we, we are the church. I know they call buildings churches, yes, that's true, but ultimately um, the, the reality is, is church is people, amen? That we are, we are living stones is what the Bible says, we are the living stones that make up the, make up the, house, make up the house of God, the church. So I just want to talk about, talk about culture and, and talk about some different things around that. So just to kind of start off with, you know, everything has a culture. I talked about, talk about this before, kind of on and off. But everything has a culture. You know, whether it's, whether it's a family environment, whether it's like a work environment, whether it be a school, whether it be an office, everything, everything has a culture. And, and a culture can either be, what I call it, is it can either be defined or it can be default. It can either be default or defined. So what I mean by that is, is everything will have a culture, a way of doing things, and it could just be default. In other words, it just happens. Everyone just lets it happen. That's how it works. Or it can have a defined culture in, intentionally. Let's say it's a work environment. The boss has decided this is the culture I want to have in my business. So they have intentionally decided. They haven't just let it be in a default culture. They've intentionally done something, done something about it. And, and, and they want there to be, let's say, someone like I don't know, Amazon or you know, one of those, uh, or Google, you know, one of those huge companies in California, where they have the intention of having a culture of creativity, and they want it to be that kind of culture, and they want it to be relaxed, and I think they let people take as much holiday as they want. I don't know if that's good, I don't know, but that's what they do. It seems to work. Let me let, let staff take as much holiday as they want, and etc. They kind of a very relaxed culture, and that's how they they believe, and certainly works seems to work for them anyway. <laughs> they get the best out of people. So that's, that's an example of a defined culture. They've intentionally done that. And so everything has a culture. A family has a culture. A marriage has a culture. A family has a culture. And the way that a husband and wife work and the way they work with their children, again, it can just be default and just kind of just let it happen, just kind of amble through life. Or 
you can say, no, this is what I want my family to look like. See, can you see the difference? They're two very different things. A work environment, I don't know what your work environment, most of you are going to work in a secular work environment, I don't know what your work environment's like, but they can be interesting, can't they? They can have interesting cultures. Sometimes a great culture, um, a great work ethic, everyone gets on, sometimes a culture of backstabbing, gossip is rife, terrible, awful jokes, and that kind of stuff, talking behind people's backs, nobody likes the boss, and you might work in a place like that, or might have worked in a place like that. Yeah, that, that's a default culture, isn't it? No one's intentionally... I don't think the bosses have woken up one day and said, right, let's have a terrible culture in this business. Well, if they are, they need to be fired. <laughs> but I don't think they've probably, they've probably done that. It's just happened by default, isn't it? Does that make sense? It's just kind of just happened because they've just had it amble along. Whereas a, a, a good business, and hopefully some of you work in companies that are great um, and, and uh, got good cultures, then, then the people at the top, the bosses, have said, no, this is the culture that we want. We want the staff to be happy. We want them to be well paid, we want them to be valued, we want them to be able to take holiday. See what I mean? It's two very different cultures, whether it's defined or default. And you know, that's also true in a church environment. Every, every church has a culture. Every church has a set way of doing things. And I believe if a church is going to be uh, effective, then it needs to have a kingdom culture. Not, not a default culture where we just kind of amble along, well, let's have, hope for the best, let's see what, see what happens. You know, case or whatever will be, will be. I don't think that's godly. It's my honest opinion. Because one, we should be trusting God, amen? Not just ambling through life. We should be believing God for possible things, amen? And for believing God to do fresh, fresh and new things. But the culture should also be defined in the way that we do things uh, as a church, the way churches do things, amen? It should, be, it should be defined and it should be in line with what, what kingdom culture is. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. It said before he went back to heaven, after he'd risen from the dead, it says he spent 40 days literally just talking about culture. He's like, this is, what, this is what the kingdom looks like. You see that in, in Matthew 6, 7, and 8, or Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus' incredible sermon on the mount. And, and basically the whole gist of that was he's basically said, you've heard this, but I, but I say this. What Jesus was doing is he was counteracting um, the culture that they'd heard. No, I don't mean counteracting Jewish culture, but I just mean counteracting the culture they'd heard of how they understood things should work. Like, you've heard it said, love your enemies. Well, I say that's not okay. Kingdom culture doesn't say, uh, sorry, hate your enemies. <laughs> doesn't say love your enemies. Sorry. Um, you've heard it said, hate your enemies. But Jesus says, no, that's not right. No, you love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you. This is, what, this is what you've heard culture looks like. This is what kingdom culture looks like. Does that make sense? And it goes through a whole load of stuff. So he talks about adultery, he talks about lust, he talks about divorce. There's a whole kind of load of, load of stuff that he covers. He talks about how we should pray, um, etc. how we should fast, we should not show off and do big long prayers just to kind of show off in front of people. So there's a whole kind of stuff about what, what stuff should look like. Amen. And, and, it kind of, and the people who listened to it at the time would have been completely shocked about, about what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was laying out what kingdom culture looked like. So as a church, we believe in having a defined culture. It's not a default culture. We don't just kind of amble along, hope for the best. Hope everyone gets on and we'll see what God does. Okay? We believe in having a defined culture that is in line with kingdom culture. Amen? So about seven, probably seven, eight years ago now, um, as pastors, and we talked about this in all the different congregations, we laid out what we called our family church values. As a church, we're called family church. We are family. We believe that church is a family church. Church is a body. Church is a family. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the church is only for families, as in for physical families with people with young kids. It doesn't mean that. It means we're all a family. It doesn't matter what age you are, what your ethnic background is, where you're from, what your economic background is. We are family. And we see ourselves as, as a family. We see ourselves as a body. Amen? So that's the principle of why we're called family church. Amen? So we laid out the family church values. So what I want to do is just kind of lay those out today and uh, in three weeks' time. 
we were doing something different next, different kind of message next Sunday. Um, but Wendy's going to be sharing some stuff and etc. It's going to be good. Um, but in three weeks' time, we we'll do the second part of this. So we've got 12 family church values. You can see these on our website if you have a look. Go to family.church. You can see all these laid out. But I thought it would be really good just to go through these before we start back in strength at Nosewood. Amen? So we're going to look at six today and six in, in three weeks' time. Let's split it in half. Okay? So one, this will be a good memory, good, or good reminder of you who have, who've been here for seven, eight years. Put your hand up if you've been here the last seven, eight years. Okay, that's about around half of you, maybe. Okay, so it'll be a good reminder for you. And for those who are newer to the church um, and hearing this for the first time, kind of family church values, and you can kind of just allow this to get down deep in, into your heart. Amen. So I'm ready. So time is of the essence is on our Sunday afternoon services. So we have to get through because we'll get through six in 25 minutes. Praise God. So these are our 12 family church values. Like I said, you can see these on the website, okay? The things that we believe are val- values to us as a church. And not necessarily in order of importance other than number one. It's definitely the most important. But other than that, I wouldn't say that the others are really in order, okay? They're all things that we value. So the first one, to make making notes, the first one is we are Christ-centered. This is the most important, okay? The other ones could be in different orders. We are Christ-centered. We're Christ-centered. And it says this on the website. It's kind of got a little spiel about it, okay? So I realized that. So what it means is we are people who purpose to live as a new creation God has made us, living out of the new covenant that is based on the finished work of the cross. We are people who purpose to live as a new creation God has made us, living out of the new covenant that is based on the finished work of the cross. So we believe that we are new creations. Amen? And we believe we live out of the new covenant, not out of the old covenant. The old covenant is amazing, the old, or the old testament, as it's called in the Bible. This is meaning old covenant. Uh, we are New Testament Christians. We believe we're saved by grace. We're not living under law. We don't have to kind of jump through hoops to get God to love us and accept us. We are brand new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, well, the scripture should be on screen, hopefully. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, as anyone in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. So when, you, when we become a Christian, we believe that we become, spiritually, we become a brand new person. But spiritually, we're renewed and, and, and restored. I mean, the old person of who we were spiritually is gone, has been dead and, and, and buried. I mean, I agree. Amen. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, a new creation has come. We believe in living a new creation life. That, that we understand that we should be different to how we were yesterday. This is a journey of discipleship. We'll come on to discipleship because that's another one of the values. We'll come on to discipleship specifically. But we understand that we're on a journey with God. That when we're saved, we're on our way to heaven, absolutely. But it's still an ongoing journey, journey with God. Of, understand, of living out the new creation life. Of God, of God changing us. Of us walking to all he wants us to be. Of us becoming more and more Christ-like. For us to look more and more like Jesus. Amen? But the old has gone. The old person that you were is not who you are anymore. Amen? And, in, and we have an incredible new covenant. A new covenant that's based purely on grace. It's Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. It's not on screen, this one, but you know, it's by grace that we have been saved. It's, it's, a, it's a gift of God so that no one should boast. Amen? It's a completely free gift from God. That's amazing, isn't it? It's a completely free gift. But that's the incredible new covenant that we have, and that's the new covenant we live under. Amen? Hebrews 8, verse 1 to 6, there's this. Uh, he, book of Hebrews is incredible. All the books of the Bible are amazing. Book of Hebrews is incredible. Reading Hebrews recently, just just blows me away. Obviously, I've read it before. But it just blows me away, the book of Hebrews. It's just, it's just incredible, just talking about the new covenant and basically what we now have in Jesus. 
Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So this is talking about the old covenant and the way they had to do things in the Old Testament, you know, make sacrifices for, for sin, etc. So every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, for they're already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve it as sanctuary that's a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is, is as superior to theirs as a covenant of which he is mediated is superior to the old one, since a newer covenant is, is established on better promises. We have a superior covenant. And, and uh, the Jews had an incredible covenant with God, and they're still God's chosen people. Okay? I, I totally agree with that. Okay? But, they had, but the, the new covenant that we have is, is, is superior to the old covenant that the Israelites were living under, because it's now based on grace, not on law. Not just trying to get God to accept, not have to make a sacrifice over and over and over again. And then they had the Day of Atonement once a year, just kind of cover any sins that hadn't been covered. And we don't have to keep going through that. And he's so glad for that. It's just done once and for all. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It, it is done. He wasn't finished. It was finished. You know, what Jesus had come to do was finished. It, it was done. The old covenant was done. Amen. And there was now a new covenant that we could live under that's based on grace. It's by grace that we have been saved. We're not under, under law anymore. Grace literally means unmerited favor. We now have the favor of God upon us, and it's totally unmerited. Isn't that incredible? It's totally unmerited. We do nothing to deserve it. All we've done is accept the reality of it. And that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. So we are people who are Christ-centered. We have Christ at the center of everything Everything that we do, the Christ is the center of our praise. He's the center of our worship. He's the center of what we talk about in terms of our messages and preaching from the word of God. Christ is the center of all. Amen? So that's one of our, our cultural values and the most important one. We're people who live as a new creation God has made us. We're not the old person we used to be. Sin no longer has a hold upon us. We may still get tempted, and sometimes we may fall into temptation, but sin has no hold upon us. Amen? Because the old person, the sinful nature we've gone was nailed to the cross along with Jesus. Everyone, everyone believe that. Amen? The old sinful nature that we had is gone. It is dead and buried. It was, it was dead and buried with Jesus. You know, that's what baptism symbolizes. Amen? And now we're, we're born again. Amen? Because of Jesus. We're now a brand new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Praise God. And we're people who live as new covenant people. Understand that incredible covenant. It's based on better promises. All those promises that there are in Scripture in the New Testament it's, just, it's based upon. Amen. And we know that we're going to have the promise of eternal life forever you know, when we leave this, leave this earth. Amen. Jesus is incredible. Amen. If you notice about other, other religions, they all want to, if you ever, I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but they all want a piece of Jesus. It happens everywhere. Apart, apart, from, apart from Jews, obviously don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. But in, in, a, in a kind of, apart from Messianic Jews who are, who are Jews who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay? And there's growing numbers of them and praise God for that. Amen. But in, in, in other religions, there's so many people who want a piece of Jesus. Muslims want a piece of Jesus. Jesus is highly, is highly sought after in, Muslims, in, in Muslim theology. Jesus, Jesus is one of their big six prophets. Um, and, and they believe that Jesus had a sinless life. They believe that Jesus was born to a virgin. And they don't even believe that about Muhammad. It's really interesting if you study this stuff. They don't believe that about their big, the big prophet, which is Muhammad. They believe stuff about Jesus, that he lived a sinless life. They don't believe even Muhammad was perfect or sinless. 
this is interesting, isn't it? Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. I met with a, there's a guy in, in, in Southampton once, I was just shopping or something, <laughs> and I think it's this, this Buddhist or New Age guy, and I was telling him uh, he was kind of basically giving out books, and I was telling him, I said, I'm born-again Christian, so just talking the reality. I was like, oh, this will increase your love for Jesus. So even he just wanted a piece of Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? He respected who Jesus was, and respected, Bud- Buddhists really respect what Jesus, what Jesus taught. You know, do to others as you have them do to you. That's a, that's a Buddhist teaching. It was Jesus that said it. I don't know whether half the Buddhists even realize that, but it was Jesus that said it. You know what I mean? So, you know, everyone kind of wants a, wants a, piece, wants a piece of Jesus. Because he, he is the very center, center of all. We, and as people, we understand who Jesus truly was. And it's great that people are searching. Let's pray their eyes are opened, amen, who Jesus truly, truly is, including the Muslims. And it's great to you know, hear those reports. You know, you hear in the Middle East of how people have dreams about Jesus and have revelations of Jesus and understand um, who he is and being born again themselves. Praise God, it's amazing. But Jesus is the very center of who we are. I mean, we are Christ-centered people. Anyway, better move on because time's going to run out otherwise. So we're Christ-centered. Number two, we're commissioned people. So I'll just read the little spiel about that. It says, we are people who refuse to be seated comfortably or stored, but we rather embrace go at every opportunity. We live passion, passionately to make a difference in our household, households, our local communities, and further afield to the ends of the earth. So we understand we're people, we've been commissioned for a purpose. Now, Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, as I mentioned earlier, just to go back to that, it says we've been created by God and we've been created for God to do good works. We're not saved by works. It's all, it's all about grace, our merited favor. It's not, we're not trying to get God's acceptance. But we're created by God, but we're created for God and for a purpose, which is, which is to reach others. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you should all know this if you've been in family church for more than five minutes. <laughs> you should know this scripture because we talk about it loads. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we are very much a people that believe in, in go and make disciples. It doesn't mean say so we all have to be missionaries, you know, to move to Brazil or, you know, move to the ends of the earth. Although those, those things are amazing. There are awesome people who do that, and that's, they're calling upon them. Let's be praying for them. Amen? And all, the, all this great stuff that they do. But it means about going into our world, living a go life. We don't want to be people who are just kind of comfortably seated in church, just waiting for heaven. How, how sad is that, if that's, if that's people's kind of position? We want others to know this great news that we have. Amen? To know this Christ, we're talking about being Christ-centered, to know Christ for ourselves, Christ meaning Messiah, meaning the chosen one, to know the chosen one for themselves. Amen? We embrace go at every opportunity. Acts 1 verse 8 says this, Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus calling upon us is to be witnesses for him. Amen? Now, obviously, we don't live in Israel. We haven't got Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or live in Israel, that area. But we all have a Jerusalem. We all have people that we can reach, people in our families, people in our workplaces, our, our neighborhoods, the people who literally live next door to us, our literal neighbors, our communities, our streets. There's people that we can reach in our worlds. Amen? And, it's, it's, and Jesus is putting an onus and a responsibility onto us to, to reach those people. Amen? To talk to them about what God's done in our lives, to reach our Jerusalem. Amen? So we are, we are people that understand that, that that is a responsibility and a commission that God has put upon us. And we kind of all have to be okay with that. Okay? This is what Jesus said, right? Go and make disciples. 
We embrace go at every opportunity. If there's people we can reach, then we'll do all that we can to reach them, whether that be for us individually within the church or as a, as a whole church body. People we can reach, let, let, let's reach them. Amen? We live passionately to make a difference in our households, our local communities. Amen? Let's see this community change. Let's see the, this, this nation changed. Amen? You've only got to watch the news for more than two minutes and know this, this world needs God, man. Doesn't it? This world needs God. Amen? And this community needs God. The water, water side needs God. Amen? doesn't matter what people's backgrounds are, where they live, what jobs they've got. Everybody needs God. Amen? Just be commissioned, commissioned people. We don't do guilt trips. I'm not talking about guilt trips here. And, you know, feel, oh, no, I haven't spoken to someone about God this week. I'm not talking about guilt trips. But let's just be people who just understand this culture. We are commissioned people. There's an onus on us. Should we pray for people to be saved? Absolutely. The Bible says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. But, you know, so often we are the answer to that prayer. The disciples who, where Jesus said that to the disciples, they were the very answer to that prayer. They, you know, Jesus said, right, disciples, <laughs> this is what you need to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest sends out laborers. But what they didn't realize at that stage, the laborers were going to be them. Right? They're the answer to the very prayer that Jesus has given them. Amen. Let's be willing to be those laborers for Jesus. So we're Christ-centered. We're commissioned. Everyone still with me? Fabulous. Number three. Time is moving on. We're discipled people. We've talked about being disciples. Go make disciples. We're people who purpose to walk forward from the first initial step of salvation to all that God has for us. We're committed to not only reach people, but also teach people about all God has done for them. So we're not just, we're not just Christians. We, we are disciples. And we're on a journey of discipleship. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 27, Jesus said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he reward each person according to what they have done. So Jesus talks here about discipleship. And we're on a journey of discipleship. It's about taking up your cross. It's about a denial of self. What that means is, is realizing that we live for God, that we don't live for ourselves. You know, in the world that we live, the vast majority of people are living for themselves. Everyone agree, right? I'm not saying they would necessarily, they would call themselves selfish people, but the reality is they're living for themselves, aren't they? Living for themselves and for their own, for their own benefit and their own entertainment or whatever, their own pleasure, whatever, Okay. But Jesus said, you know, being a disciple is different. It's about denying yourself and about understanding that, that Jesus is our commanding officer, pa- uh, Pastor Paul, that's me, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> I often get those two mixed up, obviously. Um, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul talks about, talks about that, that Jesus is our commanding officer. Man, that he's like, we're, we see ourselves as soldiers, and he is our commanding officer, our captain, our, our, our boss. That's what it's talking about, denying ourselves, taking up the cross, understanding that we, you know, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're now, we're now slaves to God. Intent, by choice, we're slaves to God. God hasn't made us slaves, but intentionally we're slaves to God, isn't it? We're his, his servants. Amen? You know, the whole, there's a whole journey of discipleship as a Christian. Remember, this isn't about God getting us to, to love us more or accept us more. This isn't talking about, are we going to heaven? Okay? This is talking about the journey of discipleship. In Matthew 13, verse 23, says this, and this is, this is uh, Jesus using the parable, of the, the parable of the sower. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
So what, what Jesus is talking about here is that we should all be fruitful. We should all be fruitful to him. When the word, word of God is sown in our hearts, it should produce a harvest in our hearts. I mean, that's part of the discipleship journey. That we should grow in God, that we should mature in God, that we should allow our roots to go deep. That God should produce a harvest in our lives that, that, that tomorrow we look different to how we look today. It's an ongoing, I would call it, it's an ongoing kind of um, process of sanctification. We're saved, absolutely we're saved. Okay? I'm talking about the saving process here. We're saved because of the cross. But an ongoing process of sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus. Growing up to be more like him. Pastor Andy puts it in this way. Pastor Andy Elms, our senior pastor, puts it in this way. He talks about snakes and ladders as a typical Pastor Andy analogy. It's about the game of snakes and ladders, I'm sure you all know. We roll a dice and you have to get to 100 and snakes and there's ladders. It talks about the journey of discipleship and God wants us to be going up the ladders. Not, not 100 is like some, just like, well, this is what a perfect Christian looks like. Okay, that's not what we're saying. Okay. But what he's saying is, but we should always be going up the ladders. And what the devil will try and do is try and put snakes in our path. Try and get us go kind of almost like back to square one. But the journey of discipleship is keep climbing the ladders in God. You know, there's, there's, you know, it's entirely up to us. The onus is completely on us how deep we go in our relationship with God. You no, know, God has no favorites. Everyone know that? God has no favorites. says he's no respecter of persons. He has no favorites. If you want to go deep in your relationship with God, you absolutely can. There is nothing that can, there's no one that can stop you. God, God is longing for that. For you, for you to press on to God and to, and to grow in him. But it means allowing our roots to go deep. God producing a harvest in our lives. Amen. So we're discipled people. Understand we are disciples. And we believe in discipling others. Amen. And, and teaching others about all that God has done for them and seeing them grow and mature in God. Number four, we're worshippers. We're people who are not afraid to be passionate with their praise and intimate with worship, who love and hunger after the presence of God. Praise and worship is so powerful. In church, we don't just sing songs as like, well, this is the singing section. (laughs) You know, now that's the word of God section. You know, the reasons why we do this stuff. Amen? Well, there should be reasons. Because it's it's about what God does in us. Amen? And the way God connects with us. And because God is just so worthy of our praise, and worthy of our worship. Remember, God doesn't need anything. Everyone agree? God doesn't need, by definition, God needs nothing. If God needs anything, we're in big, <laughs> seriously, we're in big trouble, aren't we? If God needs anything, we're in big trouble. By definition, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't even, and the reason I'm saying that is he doesn't even need our praise and worship. God is totally secure in who he is. You know, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Savior, the Creator, the Redeemer, and, and so, you know, all that he is, the Creator of the universe. He's totally secure in who he is. If someone doesn't praise or worship him, he doesn't have self-esteem issues. And no one's praising me or worshiping me today. It's not, it's not about, about God needing anything, but it's about what it does in us. As we praise him, as we worship him, as we get a greater revelation of who God is in our lives. As we lift him up, as we honor him, as we magnify him about what God does in us through, through that connection. That's why praise and worship is so, so important. You know, throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to praise and to worship. Psalm 100 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs and know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For, his lo- for the Lord is good, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. We encourage, as many of the, the Psalms do, especially the ones written by David, who was a great praiser, we're encouraged to praise, to thank God, end his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, to give the best of our praise. Amen? Let's be a people who always do that. Give the best of our praise. You know, we can sing and dance and clap our hands and do whatever you want to do, but let's give God the best of our praise because he is so worthy. Amen? 
praise God. Now worship John 4, 19 to 24. Jesus has this amazing encounter with this Samaritan woman. It's kind of blew all the cultural boundaries kind of out the window, as Jesus often did, because men would never have talked to a woman on their own. Um, it was kind of first thing, and let alone a Samaritan woman, and the Samaritans were hated by the, hated by the Jews, and, and the feeling was mutual. <laughs> Samaritans also hated the Jews. That's why Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. But anyway, so Jesus talked to this Samaritan woman. He says this, or the woman in response says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, and he wasn't being rude when he called a woman. <laughs> Oi, woman. Okay, just calling her woman, okay? <laughs> woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. When he says we, he's talking about the Jews. We worship what we do know for salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. Amen. Let's be believers who, who worship in Spirit and in truth. Amen. The Holy Spirit within us takes us on that journey of worship. Amen. And so it's worship in truth. Amen. Let's worship the true, true God and, and who he is. Amen. Let's have a revelation of who he is. Man, it's not about where you go to worship. It's about the heart of worship. And of course, this isn't just true about Sundays, obviously. This is true about praise and worship throughout, throughout your week, throughout your day, wherever it may be, in the bathroom, in the car, wherever it may be. This God is so worthy of our praise and worship. Let's be people who hunger after the presence of God. Amen? One encounter with God can completely change your life. It will completely change your life. Let's hunger after the presence of God. Amen? Remember, remember how deep you go in your relationship with God is completely up to you. It's not up to your circumstances. It's not up to the person next to you. It's not up to anybody else. It's not up, even up to God himself. It's completely up to you. That can be a big truth that takes a while for some Christians to get that down deep to the hearts. How deep you go in relationship with God is entirely up to you. Amen? Those are people who, who worship in spirit and in, and in truth. Amen? It's not about where you worship. It's about the heart, heart behind it. Hunger after the presence of God. Amen? Right, time's moving on. Number five, we are Bible-believing Christians. Amen. One of our family church families, we're Bible believing. We're people who seek to understand and apply God's unchanging word and resolve to never add to it or take from it. We believe in this, this incredible book. We believe it's, it's the, the inspired word of God. Amen. The people wrote it, loads of different authors, but they wrote it on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We believe it's, inf- it's, it's infallible. We believe it's God's words himself. Amen. Let's look at the purpose of Scripture 2, Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is the purpose of Scripture. So it's, God, it's God-breathed. God didn't physically write it. It's written by humans. That's true. But it's, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's used for teaching. So these four different things it does. It teaches us. Sometimes it rebukes us. Because sometimes we do need rebuking, don't we? We think we know best. Sometimes we need correcting, and, and sometimes we need training. It's so that us as the servant of God, the people of God, we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the purpose of the Word of God is. It isn't just an amazing book, although it is an amazing book in itself. But it's about what it does in us and the change it produces in us. Again, it's part of our journey of discipleship. We're, we're disciple people. We looked at uh, value number three. Amen? God wants us to be thoroughly equipped for all he wants us to do. God wants us to be, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Amen? And we're renewed in, in our minds by the, by the Word of God. You know, this, this world that we live in, it has a lot of opinions, right? I would agree. It's a lot of opinions. And, and in this kind of internet, social media generation that we're, we're, we're now in, 
you know, there's, there's far, more, far more opinions than there ever used to be. You can find an opinion about anything. Right? But what does the Word of God say? What does, what does the Creator say? What does, what does the Savior say? What does the Creator say about this issue? Amen? The, people who, the, the God who, who formed us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, what does he say about the situation? That's, that's what I want to know. I don't want to know what some guy on the news, not there's anything wrong with watching the news, but I don't want to know what some guy on the news says about something, or what some guy on social media, or what some celebrity, uh, um, yeah, celebrity might say about something. I want to know what the Word of God says. Amen? That's where you're going to find truth. Remember, Jesus said himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen? The word of God is truth. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your, your word, David wrote this, Your word is a, a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You know, that's the wisdom of Scripture. It lights our path ahead. When, when, we, when we read Scripture and, and apply it to our lives, we must apply it. Um, you can read that in the book of James. It talks about doing, doing what it says. Don't just read the word of God, because otherwise, basically, all you've, all you've done is got, got to know a book. Okay? Make sure you apply it to your lives. Allow God to change you through it. Amen? Let's be people who live a devotional life of the Bible. We intentionally set aside time in our days and our week to, to, to read the Word of God. Or, or sometimes I, you know, I do a lot of driving. I go to Portsmouth a couple of times a week and just stick the Word of God in the car. You know, there's different things, different ways you can do it. You can find time off. If you say you can't find time for the Word of God off, come and speak to me and I'll find you time. I'm serious. You know, if you've got time to you know, watch TV or catch up on the news or to spend half an hour on Facebook, you've definitely got time to read the Word of God. And I don't agree, right? Amen? It's about what you spend our time doing, right? Let's be people who live a devotional life with the Bible. Because God reveals his character to us through Scripture. And it's then that we change and we have a greater revelation of who he is. And, and our minds are transformed. Okay, so we're Bible-believing. And number six, we are community-focused. We're community-focused. Okay, and I'm not talking about reaching the community here. Okay, this has got a different element to this. Because we believe in reaching the community. We talked about that in Go and Go Make Disciples. We're talking about us being a church community, okay? We're community-focused. We are community diverse in culture and age who place great value on doing life together and who don't just attend events. We are people who are committed to developing healthy relationships, believing these to be the cables that make our church strong. Amen? So this is what we want our church family to look like. We're diverse in culture and age. We believe in doing life together with people and praying for each other, for supporting each other, just hanging out with each other, having fun with each other. We believe in healthy relationships. We believe that we're created to be relational. You know, we're created in the image of God. God is relational. We, we are called to be relational. That no one should be doing life on their, on their own. We should have friends and those around us and, and church friends, church family. Amen. And that's what makes our church strong. Praise God. You know, look at what the early church looked like in Acts, Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles. He's talking about the, what we often call the early church, okay, to the, the church as it started after Jesus ascended to heaven after the, after the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in a temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and that's not talking about communion, okay? That's just... That's talking about, in that context, it's just talking about hanging, hanging out, just having meals together. Yeah. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they would meet and eat together regularly. They just kind of hang out. And I'd encourage you to, to do that. Obviously, as a church, we've been able to do this far less. It's been an interesting 18 months, right, in terms of our... Um, church events, etc. We haven't been able to have our church meals and all those kind of things that we used to do together and we will get those off the ground again. But I encourage you to do life together. 
Amen? Let's be a people that are totally united. Now, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. It doesn't mean so we all have to look exactly the same, and be all be the same age, all be from the same culture, and all be from the same socio-economic background, or live in the same village within the waterside. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that. Okay, unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Amen. This is about having unity of heart. We're all different. We've got different characters and different personalities. And that's the way God created us. Let's celebrate that. Amen. We're all from different backgrounds. Let's celebrate that diversity. Awesome. Praise God. Let's be united in heart. United in heart as us as a church body and a church family. Let's, let's do life together. Amen. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. This is why it matters. It says this. It often gets read at, read at weddings, the scripture, but it's, but it's just true in reality of, of relationships, of human relationships between friends and the church family. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You know, God believes in relationships. Relationships matter. Amen. Two people are better off than one. When you've got someone doing the journey with you, walking alongside you, then you can help each other succeed. Amen? If one of you falls, the other person can reach out and help. You know, no man or woman is created to be an island. Amen? You know, relationships are powerful. And it bring, when, when relationships are healthy and they're authentic, it brings so much strength, strength to a church. Amen? So that's kind of the first six family church values. I'm going to rattle through those quite quick. I'm going to look at the next six um, in three weeks' time. Let's be a church that has a kingdom culture. Amen? That we understand we're a community of believers, that we're Bible-believing, and we, we put priority on the Word of God. We understand why the Word of God matters. We, we read it, and we, we apply it to our lives. We read it, and we hear it. We're, we're worshippers. We believe in praise and worship. We're passionate about praise and worship. Amen? We don't just go through, go through the motions and just sing songs. It's, it's the heart of who we are. We're, we're doing it in spirit and in truth. We're people who understand we're discipled. We're on a discipleship journey with God. Let's be different tomorrow to how we do today. Amen? How we are today. Let's continue on that journey of discipleship. Let's be different next month to how we are this month. You know, when we look back in a year's time, let's be, diff- be able to look back and think, yeah, look at all the great stuff God's done in me over the last year. Look, at, look how I've grown in God. The harvest is produced in my life. So let's understand that we are commissioned people. Amen? There's an onus and responsibility on us to reach those in our world, to reach, reach our Jerusalem, to be his, his witnesses. Amen? And most important, let's be Christ-centered. That Christ is the centre of all that we do as a, as a church, in our own in our own lives, in, in our families, in our workplaces, and all that in our finances, and all that we are as a person. Let's be Christ-centred in it all. Let's all stand. Praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for all you. Lord, you talk about the kingdom and about kingdom culture. Lord God, and I just pray, Lord, this would go deep down into our hearts. Lord God, Lord, that we would have a, just an incredible culture in our church. And, a, and a, not a culture that we've created as family church, Lord, but a culture that reflects your kingdom culture. Lord, the culture that reflects you. Lord, that we would keep you as the center of everything that we do. Everything would be about you. Everything would be about glorifying you. Everything would be about lifting you up. Everything would be about praising you and worshiping you. Oh God, Lord, we'll be commissioned and we'll be discipled and we'll be a great community of believers, Lord. And we, Lord, we'll put huge priority on the Word of God and we'll allow the Word of God to change us and to grow us. Lord, develop us into the people you want us to be. Help us to be more Christ-like. Help us to be different today than how we were tomorrow. Help us to be different tomorrow than how we are today. We're different in a month and a year. Lord, just continue to grow on that discipleship journey with you. 
Lord, help us just to deny self, Lord, just to live for you. Lord, in this world where there's so many voices, Lord, yours is the voice we want to be listening to. Lord, you said that, Lord, that your sheep, Lord, they hear your voice. Lord, in this world has got so many voices, so many opinions. Lord, we want to know the one true opinion that matters. The one true voice that matters. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as your sheep, Lord, we will recognize the voice of the great shepherd in our lives. Lord, yours will be the opinion that matters more than any other human. Lord, yours will be the opinion, Lord, that we value. Change us. Make us more like you. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, just do your will in this church. Just do what you want to do in it, Lord God. Lord, maybe just have a great kingdom culture. Lord, just reflects you, Lord God. When people come into the church, Lord, they would just see you in it all, Lord God. Maybe we'd all be just totally countercultural to the world. Thank you, Lord God. You're such a great God. I was going to just pray a second prayer as well, just quickly, as time goes. But this is second prayer, just to give anyone who's here this morning, uh, this afternoon, and you've never invited God into your life. You've never said you're a Christian or lived as a Christian, but you want God in your life. And the great news is, and I talked about this earlier, about grace, the unmerited favor. All you have to do is accept it. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You haven't got to try and make God like you or make God love you or make God accept you. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God just wants to forgive you. He's so willing and so ready. You've just got to say, that's what I want, God. I want you to forgive me to make me new. I want to live for you. I accept what you did for me on the cross. And God will come into your life and he'll start to change you, start to change the circumstances in your life. You know the promise of eternal life when you leave this earth. He'll fill you with his love. He'll fill you with his grace and his mercy and his peace. These are all the things that God wants to do for you and all you've got to do is just say yes to him. So I'd encourage you, if that's you, just to pray this prayer. Let's all just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for dying on it for me for taking my sin, for anything I'd ever done, done wrong. I want you to make me new. I ask you to forgive me. I want to live for you. I want to know the promise of eternal life. I want you to change me. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer this afternoon, whether you just whether you've never ever prayed a prayer like that before or you're just getting some things right with God, just getting back on track and thinking, yeah, I've gone off course. I need to get back on track with God. I just want you just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I've prayed that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else, but we just, well, we just love to chat with you afterwards. So anyone this afternoon, thank you, God. You're so, so good. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord God. You're an amazing, amazing God. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your unmerited favor, your grace and your, and, your, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord God. You're just so, so good. Amen.